beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ. Are you a complainer? Do you tend to look at life through a negative perspective? Do you find that in your interaction with others, you're often bemoaning the ills of life? Do people get frustrated with you and avoid you because they get sick of your grumbling? What is it about life that gets you frustrated, that makes you murmur and complain? Has some great injustice been done against you? Or is your moaning and complaining just a bad habit that you've developed? You might think that you're not much of a complainer, but there's a few areas of life where many of us seem inclined to grumble and complain. Just think about food. Think about the way that we respond when mom serves spinach or broccoli or Brussels sprouts or some other vegetable you don't like. Think of our reaction when we've had a bad experience at some restaurant. None of you have anything bad to say in circumstances like that, do you? You're all kind and well-mannered and appreciative of being well-fed, right? Consider, beloved, our responses to the current health crisis and the government restrictions surrounding it. There is an appropriate way to deal with these things by addressing those in authority with your concerns. We may speak with one another to help us come to a better understanding of what's going on, to express our concerns for what this means for us as Christians and for our country in the years ahead. But how much of our talk about these things is constructive? And how much of it is murmuring and complaining? Can you see how easy it is to get involved? In grumbling? Many of us don't consider grumbling and complaining to be much of an issue. Since we all do it so often, it can't really be so bad, can it? Some people would debate whether grumbling is really a sin. Many consider it to be a God-given right. In our text, sheds a different light on grumbling. Numbers 11 begins with the people complaining about their misfortune. When God heard it, his anger burned hot against those who complained. He sent fire from heaven to consume them. Our text continues with the people craving meat and complaining about the manna that God provided for them. God struck down many of the people with a great plague. Our text shows that God's perspective on grumbling is very different from ours. I preach to you God's word under the following theme. On the way to the promised land, Israel grumbles against the Lord. We'll see God's view of grumbling, God's response to grumbling, and God's remedy for grumbling. Israel was on the way to the promised land. In Numbers 10, we saw how they left Mount Sinai and traveled for three days before setting up camp again. 
After a year of camping at Mount Sinai, there must have been excitement in the air. Finally, they were on their way to take possession of the land God had promised them. When we consider their journey, it's important to remember that like them, we too are on a journey. We too are traveling through life on our way to our eternal homeland. The initial excitement of leaving Mount Sinai would have quickly faded. God's people traveled through the desert on their way to Canaan. Marching in a hot, dry, and dusty desert was not that much fun. Often when we make a road trip, it doesn't take long before one of the kids will ask, are we there yet? Well, Israel was not traveling in an air-conditioned car. They were walking, using muscles they were not used to using. Many would have experienced some stiffness and soreness after a three-day march. And then there was a whole rigmarole of setting up camp again. Their initial march would have given them some idea of what lay ahead in the coming weeks and months. Our text begins with the people complaining in the hearing of the Lord about their misfortunes. You might think that this is a normal response to a trying time. You might feel like God's people had a right to complain a little bit. But the Lord has a different perspective on Israel's complaint. God responded with anger and fiery judgment. The fire of the Lord burned among them and consumed the outlying parts of the camp. Fire is an image for God's judgment. Just think of what happened at Sodom and Gomorrah or of how hell is described as a lake of fire. It scared the people. And they cried out to Moses, their appointed leader. Moses prayed to the Lord. Although Moses is most often identified as a prophet, he often takes on a priestly role. Here he intercedes for the people before the Lord. He serves as mediator between the Lord and his people. The Lord responded to Moses' prayer. The fire died down. The name of that place was called Taberah, from a Hebrew word which means to burn. Thus the Lord showed his people that murmuring and complaining were not trifling matters. They caused his anger to burn hot against his people. After the first three verses, our text speaks in far greater detail about the next incidents of Israel's mourning, of Israel's moaning and complaining before the Lord. This time it's a complaint about food. It started among the group of people that our text describes as the rabble. These people were not Israelites. Perhaps they were slave people from other nations or disenchanted Egyptians who aligned themselves with the Israelites. They had a strong craving for the food they used to eat when they were in Egypt. And their craving spread through the whole congregation. Verse 10 speaks about the people weeping throughout their clans, everyone at the door of his tent. Our text provides a clear picture of the origin and of the spread of grumbling. 
also in the church. Grumbling often starts with people on the fringes. Those actively involved in church life have skin in the game. It's much easier for those on the sidelines to take pot shots at what others are doing. And yet, beloved, when grumbling starts, it often quickly spreads. As Paul writes, bad company ruins good morals. Grumbling is like a contagious disease. You hang out with people who are always grumbling and complaining. It's hard not to take on their negative attitude. When our text speaks about how the people had a strong craving, it describes how badly they wanted other food. They wept and said, Oh, that we had meat to eat. Their desires, their wanting, were not wholesome desires. Now, there's nothing wrong with desiring good food. But these people were discontent. They lusted after what they didn't have. They said, we remember the fish we ate in Egypt that cost nothing. The cucumbers, the melons, the leeks, the onions, and the garlic. They complained, but now our strength is dried up. And there is nothing at all but this manna to look at. These crybabies felt so sorry for themselves, they were actually weeping because they could not get what they wanted. Grumbling always involves a poor me attitude. We think we've had a raw shake in life. Either God or other people have treated me unfairly. Often that attitude comes from comparing ourselves with others or from comparing our current circumstances with how we thought life should have gone for us. At root, grumbling is a way of vocalizing discontent. We grumble because we're not happy with how life is treating us. Grumbling often involves an exaggeration of how good life was and how lousy it is now. The Israelites were guilty of false memory syndrome. They speak about how they received free fish in Egypt and how they ate these tasty gourmet meals. Really? They were slaves in Egypt. They suffered bitter affliction. The Lord came to rescue them because he heard their groaning. Pharaoh had instituted a program of genocide against them, commanding that all the baby boys be cast into the River Nile. The reality is that the Israelites were slaves who were harshly treated in Egypt. Israel's complaints about the food God provided for them were also untrue. They saw their God-given manna as boring and tasteless. They speak about how their strength is dried up. They make it sound like they're not receiving the sustenance that they need. In contrast, our text gives a lovely picture of the true nature of this heaven-sent food. It was versatile. It could be ground or crushed, cooked like porridge or baked like pastry. Manna was also tasty, like cakes made with the finest of oil. 
Psalm 78 calls it the food of angels. We could say manna was like the original angel cake. In the middle of a hostile desert, God provided nourishing and tasty food for his people every day again. And so we see that Israel's grumbling was baseless. They wanted something they didn't have. And so they murmured and they complained. The whole congregation stood at the doors of their tents and wept because they felt so sorry for themselves. Our text tells us that once again, the anger of the Lord burned hotly. And all of this had a profound effect on Moses. He was the man caught in the middle. The burden of leading God's people got to him. Earlier, he had already interceded for God's people, praying that the Lord would no longer cause his fire to burn among them. But this time, Moses couldn't handle the situation anymore. Moses faces a crisis of leadership. Some would say that he joins in with Israel's grumbling. I think it would be better to say that he was groaning, groaning under the burden of leadership. The manner in which Moses expresses this is not right. Moses goes on a bit of a self-centered rant. In essence, he says to God, why did you bring this trouble down on me? Why should I be weighed down with this evil people? Am I their mother or their nurse? Where can I get meat for them all to eat? In verse, in verse 14, Moses summarizes his struggle. I'm not able to carry all this people alone. The burden is too heavy for me. Moses tells God he may as well kill him. He's just simply not up to the task. Beloved, we can take instruction from this. We often look at grumbling and complaining as our God-given right. Because it's so common, we don't even think twice about it. We hardly consider it to be sin. But grumbling and complaining easily spreads. And it presents a real challenge for those in leadership. Being a leader is often a thankless task. Different people see things in different ways. No matter what decisions you make, there's always someone who's upset. And when people are upset, they often grumble and complain. It can make service in the church a difficult task. Pastors and elders have been charged by God to lead his people in his ways. Their task is to encourage and guide and direct us along the pathway of life. Yet serving in office comes with a certain weight. Pastors and elders are given responsibility to care for the souls of God's people. In 2 Corinthians 11, Paul writes about the suffering that he endured for the sake of the gospel. He speaks about suffering beatings and shipwreck, of sleepless nights, hunger and thirst, cold and exposure. Then Paul adds one more burden that he faced. He writes that apart from all these other things, 
there is the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. I'm personally tremendously thankful that as Reformed churches, we are not pastor-led churches. I'm so grateful that God has given us a group of godly men to serve as elders and deacons. Shared leadership relieves some of the burden of the care and anxiety for the souls of God's people. Now, beloved, it's important for you to understand that being a leader is often a difficult task. You are always welcome to communicate with your office bearers and to express your concerns about various matters. But murmuring and complaining are not helpful. In fact, such actions are destructive. There are many churches that have had their fellowship disrupted or that have even been destroyed by such actions. It brings us to our second point, and it will see God's response to grumbling. In the first verses of our text, when Israel grumbled against the Lord, his anger was kindled, and a devouring fire consumed the outlying parts of the camp. Moses interceded for the Israelites, and the result was that the fire died down. But this time, Moses is so burdened by the people's sin and by God's anger that he's ready to give up. He asked God to just kill him. And so Moses doesn't pray for the people. There is no one to mediate for them, no one to intercede for the Lord to show mercy. Our text shows how the Lord responds to Moses first. Moses felt crushed by the burden of leadership. And so the Lord told him to gather 70 men of the elders of Israel, men who were leaders among the people. God took from the spirit that he had placed on Moses and he put it on these men. As soon as the spirit rested on them, they prophesied. It was a visible sign to the people of Israel that the Lord had anointed these men as leaders among his people. Although their prophesying was a temporary phenomenon, the Spirit remained on them. He equipped them to serve alongside Moses. Our text goes on to detail how the Spirit rested on two men, Eldad and Medad, who had remained in the camp. It appears that they were part of the 70 elders who had been appointed to lead with Moses, but they had not gone to the tent of meeting. Yet the Spirit comes upon them anyway, and they prophesied in the camp. A young man came and reported this to Moses. Joshua was concerned that this undermined Moses' position as leader among the people. But Moses was a meek man. He was not concerned about his personal status among the people. He said, would that all the Lord's people were prophets, that the Lord would put his spirit on them. God was gracious in providing 70 men to serve as leaders along with Moses. The burden of leading the people, of shepherding God's sheep, no longer rested on him alone. And the Lord did not just appoint a handful of men, or even just one from each tribe to serve with Moses. 
he provided abundantly. Yet having more leaders did somewhat detract from Moses' leadership. When Moses was the only leader, there were no arguments about who leads. But as soon as 70 others are appointed, it made others question why they couldn't also be leaders among the people. From this time forward in Numbers, Moses' leadership becomes an issue. Having dealt with Moses' crisis in faith, the Lord goes on to respond to his people's grumbling and complaining. They craved meat. God gave them meat. More than they could ever have imagined possible. In our text, Moses questions where the Lord was, where the Lord was going to get this meat from. Moses wonders if slaughtering their flocks and herds would provide enough meat for the people to eat. He questions whether all the fish in the sea would be enough food for this great multitude of people. The Lord said to Moses, is the Lord's hand shortened? In other words, do you think that I'm incapable of providing meat for the people according to my promise? Then the Lord caused a wind to arise and it brought quail from the sea and let them fall beside the camp. The quail were piled up three feet high for a day's journey all the way around the camp. There was so much meat that those who gathered the least gathered a little more than one of those 55-gallon drums of quail. Why did God provide so much meat for his people to eat? There's two main reasons why God did this. His people's grumbling and complaining were rooted in a lack of faith in him. All grumbling finds its root in a lack of trust in God. We grumble because we don't have what we want or because something didn't go our way. God could easily grant us the desires of our hearts, but instead of looking to him and asking him, we complain. So the first reason why God provided quail in such abundance was to show both the Israelites and Moses that he was Almighty God. The people should have known that. The Lord had brought ten increasingly severe plagues on Egypt. He had shown his power and glory by leading them from slavery in a foreign land. When Pharaoh and his chariots and horsemen chased the Israelites, the Lord drowned them in the midst of the sea while leading Israel on dry ground through the midst of it. Did they doubt God's ability to provide food? How ridiculous! Each morning, six days a week, the Lord provided manna from heaven. The people's murmuring and complaining was baseless. The problem was not the Lord's ability to provide. It was their discontent. The second reason why the Lord provided such an abundance of quail was as a punishment for his people. Our text says that the Lord would give them enough meat not just for one day or two days or five days or ten days or twenty days, but a whole month until it comes out of your nostrils 
becomes loathsome to you because you have rejected the Lord who is among you and have wept before him. God would feed them meat till they gagged on it, till they loathed it as much as they loathed the manna that he had provided for them. The Lord went on to strike down the people with a very great plague. While the meat was still between their teeth before they consumed it, the Lord struck down those who started the revolt against him. The name of that place was called Kibroth Hatavah, which comes from the Hebrew word for craving, because there they buried the people who had the craving. It is sobering to think of how grumbling and complaining is not a small thing in God's eyes. It is a lack of faith and trust in him. It is an attack on his goodness and his faithfulness. Romans 1 speaks about how God at times gives people over to their wickedness and their rebellion against him. Psalm 73 makes it clear how God gives some people more than they could ever have imagined. There are people to whom God appears to give so many good things, health and wealth, fame, and a life of ease. When the psalmist saw wicked people prospering and thriving, it almost caused him to give up his faith in God. But then he came to understand that all the good things God gave these people were not blessings. God put them on a slippery pathway One of God's most profound judgments on sinners is to give them everything their heart desires. He allows them to walk the smooth road to destruction with nothing to turn them around. Brings us to our final point, God's remedy for grumbling. Our text has shown us the people's sin of grumbling and Moses' inability to serve as a true mediator for them. We need a better prophet. Someone who can not only intercede for us consistently when we sin, but but who can also bear the burden of God's wrath against our sins. We need someone who can bear the burden of the leadership of God's people without growing weary and frustrated. Someone who can shelter us through the storms of life and who can bring us home. Jesus is a better mediator than Moses. Despite all our grumbling and complaining, he does not give up on us. He does not need 70 helpers to share in the ministry of intercession, for he possesses the Spirit in full measure. Hebrews 7.25 tells us he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him since he always lives to make intercession for them. That's a great encouragement, beloved. When you feel like moaning and complaining, pray. Bring your heart's desires before God's throne of grace. Jesus will intercede, ensuring that your prayers are heard. We see a wonderful example of Jesus' caring leadership when he ate the Last Supper with his disciples. He was surrounded by his closest friends on earth. 
And yet Jesus knew that Judas was going to betray him, that Peter would deny him, and that the rest of the disciples would also abandon him. When Peter cockily said that he would never deny Jesus, Jesus did not grumble. Instead of supporting Jesus and praying for him in a time of great suffering, his disciples fell asleep in the Garden of Gethsemane. But Jesus never uttered a word of complaint. John 17 records Jesus' high priestly prayer for his disciples, these soon-to-be unfaithful followers of his. Jesus bore the judgment and curse of God that we deserve because of our grumbling and our unbelief. Because of my moaning and complaining, Jesus had to bear the burden of God's wrath against my sin. And instead, he's given us his blessing. Moses' prayer that God's spirit might be put on all God's people was fulfilled at Pentecost. The Holy Spirit has come to make his home in us. He leads us to put our faith and trust in the Lord. So we learn to depend on him for all that we need. He helps us to bring forth fruits of thankfulness in our lives for God's grace and his goodness to us. Beloved, do you really have reason to grumble and complain? If God has loved us so much that he sent his son to pay the price to redeem us from our lostness, how can we complain about the rations God provides as we travel on life's journey? The desert was not Israel's home. And like them, we are on a journey to a better homeland. When confronted with hardships and sorrows, we need to remember that the present is not all that there is. Keep your eyes fixed on Jesus. Savor the rich promises that he has made. When your eyes are fixed on future glories, present trials become so much more bearable. Find rest in the Lord, and he will lead you safely onward. Amen. Let's respond to the gospel message by rising and singing from Psalm 37, stanzas 1, 3, and 4.